everybody. Welcome to the latest and greatest episode of Inside the Hexagon. I am your host, Phil Lanides, and I want to thank you once again for joining us for this week's episode. Uh, on today's uh, chat, on our interview episode, we have El Nino Gilbert Melendez, one of the early stars of Strike Force, one of the guys that really exemplifies what the promotion uh, was all about. Uh, he won the, the Strike Force lightweight title twice, the interim title once. He holds all kinds of Strike Force records. Uh, mostly involving championship fights and, and title defenses and that sort of thing. And so we have a great conversation. Uh, we're looking forward to having Gilbert back on in future episodes, which we discuss. But Gilbert was just such an important part of Strike Force's history. I mean, a guy that really, you know, again, kind of just personifies what the promotion really was all about. Uh, you know, this is where he really made his name on a national stage and, and really set the tone uh, for the remainder of, of his career. And just just such a such an awesome guy. And, and it was really great reconnecting with him. I interviewed him years ago uh, for the Strike Force website, and it was good to again, you know, reconnect with him. But just a great chat about, uh, you know, his fight with Clay Guida, which was, I, I really believe, such an important fight uh, in the early part of Strike Force's history. I mean, one of the best fights it had in its first couple of years, and uh, just you know, such an important bout. And 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 Gilbert really establishing himself as the lighter weight star. Uh, in the promotion alongside Josh Thompson. And, and so we get to talk about that. And I'm looking forward to, to hearing more from him in the future. But just a great, great conversation. Hope that you enjoy it. So here we go. Without further ado, here's Gilbert Melendez. All right, Inside the Hexagon fans, thank you for tuning in. On the phone, or I guess on the line with us, uh, we've got Gilbert Melendez. Gil, thank you for taking the time to join us today. Yeah, no problem. It's good to be here. Yeah, you know, it, it's if anybody exemplifies Strike Force, I mean, there's a few names that come to mind: Kung Lee, Josh Thompson, but one of them has to be uh, Gilbert Melendez. And so, I, I, it's really great to have you on. Um, let's let's jump right into it. I, I want to kind of talk about your early career leading into uh, your first couple of fights with Strike Force. You're, you're kind of a an anomaly uh, in that you didn't really start training in MMA until after college. Uh, it, it, what was it like? Uh, did you have any combat sports training growing up? Like what, what kind of, you know, got you interested in MMA? Well, I always felt like I, I gravitated towards, you know, wrestling and, you know, I, I, you know, grew up watching WWE blood sport movies and I had some neighbors down the street who actually wrestled, you know, in junior high. And they introduced me to wrestling a little bit. So in high school, I started my, my martial arts career. Uh, I started wrestling at Santa Ana High School. We had a good team. You know, uh, I went to state two times. I was a two-time CIF runner-up. So, so wrestling was my foundation. And that's where I really, you know, uh, as I wrestled, I was watching UFC, you know, one, two, three, four. I think I was in seventh grade, actually, when UFC 4 came out. So I've always gravitated towards fighting. I was always a fan. I'm an original fan of the sport. Um, so, uh, so yeah, you know, wrestling was my foundation and, and where I got things started. So I, I read that, uh, your good friend, Jake Shields was the one that actually introduced you to MMA. Is that, is that correct? And kind of what was, what was that like? Right. So, uh, so my high school wrestling career led me to go to San Francisco state university and my second year wrestling there is where I met Jake Shields. Uh, who told me, you know, I compete in these fights, these cage fights. And I was like, you know, I've seen the UFCs. I haven't seen you in them. And, uh, and <laughs> aren't you, aren't you there yet? Come on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And there was only King of the Cage and Gladiator Challenge. And I didn't even know about those. And then, uh, 
you know, so I kind of challenged him and he, and he kind of put me up in a pretzel right away. <laughs> and I was, I was, uh, I was kind of a believer after that. And, and then he showed me his fight tapes of uh, him fighting a gladiator challenge, King of the cage. And, and I was pretty fascinated by it. And, and immediately, you know, like I said, I love the sport. I gravitated to, to him, someone who, uh, who, who was um, pretty determined and focused on, on, uh, and was on a mission to become a, a high level mixed martial artist. And, and he really pulled me in and, and uh, I dabbled in it. But uh, really, when he moved in with me, uh, myself and like five other guys, he started really forcing me to go train with him. And, uh, and I, I, I'm indebted to him till this day because of that. Well, he definitely became that high level uh, MMA guy. And, and he's somebody I, I've been in contact with him. He's planning on coming on the podcast at some point, too. And someone we'll talk about in the future. But get, getting back to you, you had a couple of amateur fights and then you really started off your pro career really hot. You won your first 13 fights in a row. Um, you became the inaugural WEC lightweight champion. You, now that's regarded as a real pi- pioneer promotion for the lighter weight classes. How much of an honor was it for you to be, you know, you're, you go down in history, you're the first ever WEC lightweight champion. What does that mean to you for your career? Oh man, it feels, it feels great. You know, uh, it's something at that moment. I just, I just will always remember that time when I, when I fought Olaf Alfonso, a guy who was just knocking people out. And of course this is another time and era uh, you know, but it was great to, to represent for my team and my teammates and, uh, you know, and test myself. And it was great. You know, it was a great feeling. It was 4,500 people outdoor in Lemoore, nighttime show. First time my dad come, came to watch me, uh, you know, fight and, uh, had my buddy Toucan in the corner, had Jake in the corner, Larry. And it was just, you know, one of those, one of those, uh, those times that you just never forget. And, uh, you know, it was just part of my journey. So it feels great. It feels great. You know, until this day when I step in the cage, they always announced WEC champ, two-time strike force champ, you know, so it's, it's, uh, it's nice. It's nice to hear. Well, it's, it's definitely a huge honor that, that, you know, no one can ever take away from, take it away from you. Um, you know, after winning that title, you fought once in Hawaii before you headed to Japan. You won three straight in the legendary pseudo promotion. Uh, was going to Japan an important part of your development as a fighter? Was that something you had your eye on to kind of further your experience or how important was fighting in pseudo to you? Um, you know, I didn't realize how important it was. Uh, Jake was a guy who really led by example and, and really exposed me to what was going on in Japan. And for lighter weights, uh, Japan became, you know, the place to be for it. Uh, at one point, 155 pounds, uh, guy, uh, you know, was, was no longer in the UFC and, um, you know, uh, Japan pride. Uh, was the place where the top 10, 150, actually 160 pounders were. Um, so, you know, I, I went to go dabble out there and, and uh, you know, I, I, I did the shooto. You know, shooto was fantastic. I, I fought at 145 pounds there. It was mm-hmm. an opportunity. It was an opportunity for me to fight like the number two guy in the world, uh, you know, uh, in, in, in Japan, uh, Takaya at the time. And, uh, you know, and it was, it was a, a great experience to go out there and fight it in front of that Japanese crowd. That just, that was just the Mecca of MMA at the time. It was, that's just where it was. That was just the most popularity was, was Japan at that time. Yeah, the, no doubt about that. Obviously pride was a, a huge deal bigger in Japan than the UFC was in the States at that time. So, you know, absolutely. And Shudo is a very legendary promotion. Uh, but after winning, you know, you, you fought two big Japanese legends there. Then you come back to the States and you compete on the very first Strike Force MMA card. Now, you were born in Santa Ana, correct? In SoCal? 
Yeah, that's correct. Right. But the Bay Area obviously had become your home. You went to, San went to college in San Francisco. When do you remember first hearing about Shamrock versus Gracie and kind of what was the, the process for, for getting you on the card? I mean, obviously Caesar was in the main event, but beyond that, what, you know, what was it, what was it like kind of getting onto the very first sanctioned uh, MMA card in, in the state of California? You know, it was it was an amazing. You know, it it was amazing to be able to be a part of that. All, all of a sudden, there's this this new player in town, this huge new organization making a move in California. Uh, you know, called Strike Force, where you know Shamrock was going to fight Caesar Gracie, and uh, it was the first legal MMA event in California. So we knew something big and special was happening, and a and a new a new uh, a new organization was coming up, and uh, you know, so. Um, being a part of that, being a part of a, a, a Bay Area show where there's so much talent. And it was kind of like the Battle of the Bay, uh, you know, as well as, um, you know, being on the same car with Frank Shamrock. And, and of course, he's a Grace, my coach. Uh, but um, but uh, I was able to sit down with Scott Coker. And, um, you know, and he was, uh, you know, I had I had done some with them out right around this corner from uh, Fairtex on Hawthorne. And was able to, uh, you know, talk with him and just kind of open that, you know, that door and create that relationship. You got to you got to remember, I'm a young man at this time and I don't recognize how important this first impression is and and, you know, and, and what the business is all about, you know. But um, even with that, Scott Coker was a great guy and and was a fair guy to me. And uh, it was it was it was a, a, a really neat meeting to have, you know, as an up and coming fighter to be able to sit with him and and uh and move forward in his uh promotion well it was very clear that you were being you know kind of groomed as, as somebody because they gave you harris the hitman sarmiento um on that first card which by the way you brought up frank shamrock and i don't know you know what your relationship is with him or anything but curious if you knew this i in my research i discovered that you actually fought on shamrock's last card before this event so the WEC event that you won the lightweight title on that was his last fight before this strike force fight so you fought I'm on his no last kidding. one and his first one yeah no kidding that's right that is right i forgot that he let headline that uh yeah it was like N night of the legend or whatever it was was called yes yeah, yeah i do remember that no kidding and i do remember him coming back and i fought in a few of his cards when he fought uh he fought caesar when he fought nick i believe i was on that same card and the same card as uh him versus Kong as well, you know? Mm -hmm. So, uh, so yeah, so Frank's a legend in the area. And like I said, Bay area has really developed a, a, a whole lot of fighters. Absolutely. And that's something we'll be talking more about on, on the podcast, but getting back to your, your Sarmiento fight. I mean, he was actually a little bit younger than you, like several months younger, but he had, it's like over 30 pro fights on his record at that point. And you were still kind of on your way up, but, but definitely, I mean, no disrespect to him, but definitely a, uh, you know, a, 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 a beatable guy, I guess, but you, you ended up getting the win. You submitted him via punches and then that sets you up for the second event at revenge. And that's where I want to key on key in on for a little bit. You took on uh, the guy taking the title on the first card, Clay Guida. Uh, were you aware of Guida before the fight? Did you train specifically for him or are you, were you more of a, you kind of just train your best and do your best and, and you worry more about yourself than, than your opponent? Well, no, I watched very closely. You know, I, I was in line to fight uh, Josh Thompson, you know, but, you know, Scott Coker brought a, a good challenge for him. And, and that was Clay Guida, someone that nobody really didn't, you know, we really didn't know much about him. 
And uh, and he came and he just really spoiled spoiled the show for Josh Thompson, <laughs> yeah. and Josh Thompson. Yeah. And uh, and was really took him down and just grinded him, you know. So I knew. So this is the first time I felt like I was the sprawling brawler. I was always the guy taking people down and ground and pounding them. But then I said, okay, I got to work on getting off the bottom and sprawling and brawling and, and using my hands. I'm better. I'm a better striker than this guy. Uh, so no, I did watch him and I game planned and I got in fantastic shape. Uh, and I knew I was going to have to, um, you know, work my get off of bottoms and my takedown defense and, and sprawl and brawl. That was like my first time. That was my game plan. Every other game plan was to, to push forward with my strikes and work my way into the, work my way into the fence, pick them up with a double leg and ground and pound. And that's what I did from Harris Sarmento. Harris Sarmento. So, uh, that was kind of, uh, my, you know, that's, that was my style. And, um, and fighting Guida really gave me confidence in my sprawl and brawl uh, techniques. Uh, you definitely put that into play. I actually just watched that fight a few days ago to kind of refresh myself. And, I mean, it was an absolute war, very, very well received. Uh, you you actually, I don't know if you remember this, but you actually spiked Guida's head into the mat in the second round. He had your back trying to go for a rear naked choke and almost looked like a pro wrestling move. You did this kind of like front-facing DDT uh, into the map, but but you mentioned your strikes. You know, you got some pretty significant strikes on Guida in the fight, and I, I it was definitely a difference maker. And and being able to sprawl and defend and then get back up when he did take you down. I mean, there there was some. Yeah, it sounds like you really worked your strategy to perfection. But but looking back, what are your memories from the fight? Anything stand out that that you think's worth mentioning? Uh, absolutely. I mean, you know, I, I I believed it was a competitive first round and and really filling us out, really filling each other out. Um, but yeah, I think that was a big turning moment when he took my back. Everyone got really worried for me, and and uh, you know I fought it really hard and spiked him on his head, and that was a you know a turn you know a turn to the momentum. You know I felt like I had him from then on, and I knew it was like control. I knew I was in control. I, I knew he could finish me, and and I, I remember hearing the roars of the fans. Uh, you know I also remember um, a moment. You know Guido was known for putting his his uh hands and raking the eyes a little bit and we mm -hmm. had a little eye rake battle and yep. and uh we had one in the corner and i remember jake was talking crap to him he was talking crap to jake and you know and, and jake told him you're tired and he said no i'm not and, he's like, <laughs> oh, and then uh you know then, then nate was there too and jake was like you know started cussing him out a little bit and you know then i was just i brought him to the corner that's what you're supposed to do bring him to your corner and ground and pound him you know so i had my moments there and i remember that you know uh you know, I remember at the end too, you know, I, I, I think I busted him up really well. And I, I remember the guy still doing push-ups and jogging and I was, I was tripping out. I was laughing a little bit about that and uh, <laughs> just, could, just, you know, just couldn't believe this guy. This guy's a maniac, but um, you know, I, I felt in fantastic shape. I felt, I felt ready. I felt mental, mentally ready. And I was just, I was an animal that night and I know I was fighting another animal. So I was extremely proud of that performance. Uh, not a lot of people got to check that out. I think, um, you know, I think Overeem fought Vitor on, on the main event yep. of that card. And uh, it was just a card that was really for the audience that day. I don't think it was televised. Maybe no. it was. It, no, it was I, not. It, it was recorded, but it actually was not televised. Right. So it was like, it was it was something special and intimate for the audience that night. And uh, and I know I put on a show for those people in, in, uh, in San Jose in the HP. And um, till this day, they love me for it. You know, I got kids coming up that are 26 now. I saw you when I was 14 years old or something, <laughs> you know. And when any time I'm out there, my wife is fighting and stuff. So, uh, you know, a lot of memories with with Strike Force and fighting Guida and just fighting at home at the HP, right, San Jose. I live in San Francisco. It's it was something special to be a part of, and uh, and that was my that was my real real coming out party in the Bay Area and showing everyone what I was made of. 
Yeah, we we were uh, we were just reviewing that card my, myself and my co-host Josh Molina, and we were talking about you and Kung being the guys that really stood out on that card. The the uh, the Belfort uh, uh, Alistair fight just didn't really deliver, and so yours was definitely fight of the night. And you know, it was it, it definitely stood out. But the weird thing was. At the end, it's a it's a split decision. You get one of the you get two of the judges fifty to forty five, and then one judge scored it forty eight forty six for Guida. I don't know if that was like his cousin or or what, but but were you? Do you remember being a little bit worried when they said it was a, a split decision? I, I I don't remember. I don't I don't think I was worried at all. Like I knew what I did. I knew I beat the heck out of the guy. I was like I just I had a I had a sour look on my face, um, but I was like there has to be a mix up and. Um, Maybe, you know, I, not a, if I was worried, I don't even remember being worried, you know, and uh, it happened so quick. And, and there was, there was a hundred percent. I was, there was no doubt in my mind. I knew a hundred percent that I won that fight. <laughs> All right. Well, how big you, you mentioned, you know, it was being Bay area and, and obviously there's always, I mean, I'm from the Bay area. I was born in Mountain View. I was raised in Cupertino. There's always been kind of this like, uh, you know, battle between SF and, and San Jose. That's always kind of been a thing, but it was definitely a pro Melendez crowd for sure. Especially if you got a guy like Guida coming in from Illinois, who's got no local ties, you know, how just again, talk a little bit about how big of a deal it was to win the lightweight title uh, in front of a, a very pro Melendez home crowd. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's hard to explain man, what a great feeling it is to have so many supporters uh, the word was out already, you know, in my hometown, Santa Ana, Southern California. And the word was out in the Bay Area that um, I was, you know, putting in some work. You know, when I fought Guido, that was my 10th professional fight. And I was 9-0 and I was finishing people. I was I was fighting internationally. Uh, so the word was out. So there was, there was thousands of people out there for me. And, um, you know, thousands of people that I, some people, I, a lot of them I don't even know, you know, just Bay Area supporters. And uh, though, you know, Bay Area people have to battle each other and they have to take sides um, when it's a Bay Area or Californian against another state or somebody from out of town, everyone gets behind you. And everyone was behind me. And uh, I feel like I represented well. I was a a Southern Californian who, who came to the Bay Area and I represented the community, the MMA community well. I had a lot of respect from everyone. Not everyone liked me, but we all respected each other. And and, uh, you know, for that, it, it felt amazing to get the support I did. And, and uh, believe, believe me, the energy, the balance gave me between the rounds, like, got me through those fights. You know, booing Guida, cheering me, and, and, you know, getting rowdy out there. You know, it's, it's funny. They have chants and everything. So, um, you know, it's, it was a memorable night. You know, my family's there, my loved ones, my training partners, and, and everyone. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a, a night I'll never forget. Uh, definitely a big memory. And, obviously, you'd have future uh... – future big memories and strike force, which we'll, we'll discuss at an, uh, another time. I did want to take a pause here and just, I believe that you're a uh, free agent. I, you know, I don't, I'm not sure what's next for you. Anything that you want to promote or anything you want to mention as far as uh, what you've got going on, any projects or anything like that? You know, for now, I'm just kind of focusing on my team. Healing my body is very important. You know, I have a lot of mileage right now. Uh, I do plan on staying in shape. Uh, I'm an inactive fighter. Uh, but I, you know, I feel like I, I get to help my wife out. I get to help my teammates out and that helps me stay sharp as teaching helps me, uh, get even better as a, as a fighter and, and really developing my gym. Um, you know, obviously COVID is a, is a big issue right now. And, uh, and it's hard to make a, a bunch of plans right now. You know, I, I enjoy being an ambassador for MMA and, 
and uh, you know, working for ESPN, it's it's a pleasure. Uh, but I I know I have a, you know, I know I have something, you know, some something left to give and and something. I don't know if it's fighting or what, but uh, you know, I'm taking my time to let that, you know, come to me. All right, fair enough. Um, well, I've got we're, we want to bring this to a close, but I did want to ask you um, one one more question before we do, and I got a few stats that I want to give you before we do that. I, I definitely want to have you back on in the future talk about what I believe was the only trilogy of fights in the Strike Force Hexagon, which was your 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 trilogy of fights with Josh Thompson, extremely important to the promotion, and would love to delve uh, delve into that with you. And Josh has agreed to come on the podcast too, so I'd like to kind of get both of your your. Uh, your points of view on that, but uh, you know, looking back on Strike Force, two-time Strike Force lightweight champion, including the last one, five successful title defenses, one-time interim Strike Force lightweight champion, uh, most a uh, one successful title defense of that, most championship bouts in Strike Force history, most successful title defenses in Strike Force history, most consecutive title defenses in Strike Force history, and then most wins in Strike Force history as well. I mean, I just. Again, I, outside of maybe Kung, I, I don't know if there's anybody that exemplifies strike force uh, more than Gilbert Melendez. So one final question with all these stats in mind, looking back over your career, you know, UFC, everything that you've accomplished, what did strike force mean to Gilbert Melendez and to the sport of MMA as a whole? Man, that's that's a tough question to answer. You know, I will do my best. But to me, it, 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 um, it meant the world, you know, you know, really being able to to fight in my backyard, you know, in my hometown, you know, with the promoter who was behind me, uh, bringing me the, the right challenges, you know, uh, uh, letting me be a part of history. Uh, you know, uh, you know, reading all the stats you, you read, I, I had no idea even those existed really, you know, that made me feel great. Uh, but um, to the score as well, I think it was a, it was a, it was a birth of many champions. You know, we know, uh, you know, people like myself, you know, uh, Jake Shields, Nick Diaz, you know, Jacare, Luke Rockle, Daniel Cormier, uh, much more. Many other people came out of Strikeforce, Ty- Tyron Woodley. And, um, you know, there was definitely some young beast uh, in that organization. And, and, uh, and it really represents a, one of the hottest times uh, in mixed martial arts history. You know, during that time, that sport was, was people will say it was the best era. And, uh, and you know, and I like to think it was. It'd be hard to argue with that. And you naming all those names. I mean, that's, that's a big reason why we're doing this podcast. We want to show people just how important strike force was and how many, uh, how many fighters really made their bones and really made their name in that promotion, you included. So I appreciate that insight. I, I said one more question, but I actually did have one more that I forgot to ask. I noticed that when Guida came out to the cage and then afterwards there was no physical belt. Did you actually get a physical belt for, for winning that title? Yeah, I did get a belt for that. I have a really cool one. It looks like one of those old school boxing type. You oh, know, the, the, uh, red, the red ones? Like the, the red red ones? Yeah, it was like red with like gold plating around. Yeah, and I, yeah, have okay. it, I have it framed. A good friend of ours, uh, you know, Kevin Louie, put it up in a frame for me. And, and I have it up in my gym. And I have, uh, you know, a, another Strike Force up in my gym title. My dad has one in his house. And I have one sitting uh, that needs to be framed up. So, um so yeah, man, uh, Scott Scott always came through for me. So so I got my belt 100. percent Okay, all right, just making sure. <laughs> otherwise he otherwise he he owes you a belt. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. We make some phone calls, right? Yeah. That. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, El Nino, Gilbert Melendez, really appreciate you taking the time to join us today. And uh, yeah, look forward to having you on again in the future. And uh, yeah, we appreciate your time. It's great being uh, being a part of this, and uh, really cool. Thanks. 
All right, I want to thank my very special guest, Gilbert Melendez. It was great to have El Nino on Inside the Hexagon, and I really enjoyed it. Hope that you enjoyed the conversation as well. It was great to kind of pick his brain and get his insight on different things like Strike Force's uh, place in MMA history, his his title-winning fight with Clay Guida, uh, and we touched on a number of other topics in there as well. Again, hope that you liked it. Hope that you like what we're doing on the on the podcast and that you are uh, enjoying everything that we're putting out. Uh, if you would, if you are enjoying it, if you would support us by rating and reviewing the podcast on your various podcast platforms, uh, you can connect with us on Twitter and Instagram as well. And of course, if you've got friends that are interested in MMA, if they're interested in the UFC or, or the history of, of this, uh, this great combat sport, uh, if you would let them know about the podcast, that would be awesome as well. Um, we're looking forward to what we've got coming down the pipeline as well. Next week, we will be covering the third event of Strike Force, uh, and it's going to be a great one. It's uh, Tank versus Buentello, where UFC legend Tank Abbott makes his first and only appearance in the Strike Force hexagon. Uh, and we also see Paul the Headhunter Buentello, uh, who was one of only two fighters to challenge for both the, both the Strike Force and the UFC heavyweight titles. Uh, so we're looking forward to discussing that uh that that uh that fight event and then also coming up soon we'll be having javier mendez the founder uh and proprietor of american kickboxing academy one of the top mma teams in the world uh, he's going to be on the show as well kind of talking about his his long history with scott coker and getting strike force going and, and things of that nature and we're looking forward to that as well uh, but in the meantime we're going to go ahead right off into the sunset hope that you stay healthy and you stay safe and we will see you next week Ready to up your game and learn more about the thrilling world of sports betting? Introducing Double Down with Breslow, the ultimate podcast about the business of sports gambling. Join me, James Breslow, and a long list of expert guests as we dive into the art and science of the sports betting industry. Evolving regulations, technology enhancements, and the meteoric rise in the number of players makes this sector the fastest growing and most intriguing in the world. Unlock the business secrets from many of the industry's most recognizable C-suite executives, including famous odds makers and influencers every episode of double down with breslow is packed with insider tips deeply skilled analysis and in-depth discussions don't miss out on the ultimate resource for mastering the business of sports betting listen to double down with breslow on the evergreen podcast network or wherever you listen to podcasts that's double down with breslow the business of sports betting podcast